We've got another episode free of any coronavirus talk for you today, all recorded before any of this came down. So uh, enjoy the lack of coronavirus. Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy, and co-host Carla Jo Helms is here. Hi, guys. And today we'll be talking with uh, Michael Gordon of uh, Sandler Training about sales and marketing alignment. Uh, Michael is the president of Sandler Training in Calabasas, California. He brings over 15 years of real-world sales training, coaching, and management experience. I need to emphasize the sales part because typically we have marketers on the, uh, on the show. But today, covering the sales and marketing alignment, we're, uh, we're talking with Michael here so he can give us the perspective in the sales and marketing alignment from the sales side. Uh, really nice to have you on the show today, Michael. Thanks for joining us. Sky, thanks for having me. And marketing folks out there, please don't hold it against me. I know there's always that rift between sales and marketing. And hopefully today, that's what we're here to work on, kind of creating that bridge between the two teams. Well, Michael, I always consider sales part of marketing. It really is. You can't just dump somebody off once you get a lead or anything like mm. that. So welcome. I think I'm going to interject here, Michael, so you don't have to get angry. I think you got it backward, KJ. Marketing is part of sales. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> who owns who? All who right. owns who? That'll be, that's a good place to start, maybe. Uh, what do you think, Michael? That's always the debate, I think. That, that's funny. I was in the Marines, and the Navy is always really fond of saying that the, the Marines is a part of the Department of the Navy, To of course, to which we always reply, we are. We're the men's department. But. <laughs> I didn't even realize that the Marines was were part of the Navy until I saw this little keychain emblem and it had uh, the Navy, like it was for the Marines, but it had the Navy in there. I never realized that. Yeah. You definitely, you definitely have branded separately. Oh, very, very much so. So the Navy's basically saying, hey, people are saying that we're inferior to the Marines, but we own the Marines. And the Marines are saying like, yeah. Yeah, they, they, so they always like to say, though, you're, you're, you're the department, part of the department of the Navy, mm -hmm. we own you, and we say, you're right, we're, we're the men's department, so <laughs> you can kind of figure out the rest. A little friendly scuffling there. Yeah, I think sales and marketing has a lot of that as well, but uh, all unnecessarily, um, you know, we see some companies, they're completely segregated, some companies marketing owns sales, some companies sales owns marketing. I always prefer the sales owns marketing strategy, but I understand that uh, it depends on your company and the structure and what's best kind of for your company. But do you have, uh, do you have thoughts on that, Michael, on who should own who? Uh, so I, I think you're right, Sky, that it definitely depends on the type of company. And an example I got talking to somebody the other day was that in a public company, when they report numbers to Wall Street, but they're not reporting necessarily what the pipeline looks like. They're reporting the numbers, the, the sales numbers. So in that case, sales is definitely, I guess, reporting to marketing or sales is there to, or marketing is there to support sales. But I, I, I typically feel like that's kind of the case in most companies that sales is there to support the, sorry, marketing is there to support sales because without sales, nothing ever happens. Right, right. I mean, they are basically assistants. You see in the smaller companies, you don't have marketing. You just have salespeople. They go out, find the business and close it. And then eventually you get marketing to come on kind of as assistants to them. 
but uh, so probably the type of company, but also the size of company. It's it's when people have this one track mind of like, no, we they report to us or we report in a, from one side or the other. It can be problematic. And then you get the fighting between the two, like saying arguing over who reports to who, who's accountable to who. Right. I I I think at the end of the day, if you you look at it as a, a team effort as it should be with most departments in a company that everybody's working towards one goal and that's to grow revenue that one doesn't own the other and one's not necessarily working for the other it's it's a team effort yes marketing supports sales but at the end of the day everybody's there for the idea of growing revenue you're all on the same team but you um you were in the marines right right okay so but everybody has to report to somebody. You're accountable to somebody. So in that equation, if sales and marketing are both just saying, hey, we're on the same team, at some point when you get into battle, somebody's got to report and be accountable to somebody else. You can't both just look at each other and say, hey, I'm on my independent thing over here. And somebody reports to somebody. In that equation, I always feel marketing has to report to and be accountable to sales. Yeah, and I think that's a, a valid and interesting analogy but I would almost look at it a different way that everybody reports to somebody, but sales and marketing might not be in the same chain of command. Right. So they could both report to the CEO or to a, a VP of sales and marketing or something like that, or, or to someone else above both of them kind of that. Uh, yeah. That and I guess to, to. To, to use the, to continue with the military strategy, you could have a, a battalion of folks where you have your, your riflemen or your, your grunts, and you have your support people who are bringing food and bullets and all that stuff. And they're the same, you know, back and forth goes the, the grunts say, Oh, these guys are lazy pokes that sit around in the field and do nothing. And the pokes say, Oh, these guys are, are grunts and they sleep in the dirt and they don't brush their teeth and, and they walk around on all fours, but. And they're both right. And, and yeah, of course. They're both, right. they're, they're both totally right. And, I'm getting a real inside picture here, right? Yeah. Oh, I, I, I we'll, we'll leave it pretty high level because I could paint much more okay. of a graphic, but they both, they're both in the same unit, but they have different chains of command where one reports up to a company commander and a, a battalion commander where as the support guys have their own, their own chain of command, which ultimately lead to the top of, of the battalion. So they're, they're, they're both there. One doesn't work without the other. And you thought this podcast one was doesn't work without the other. Yeah. We're, this is just a, this is just a veterans day barbecue. We're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I guess it's saying it, there may be structures that work better than others, but as long as you have a structure and you hold to it, sales and marketing, who reports to who do they report one report to the other? Do they both report to someone else? You just have to have it a structure, and this is kind of jumping ahead in the topic here, but in order to have accountability, people have to be accountable to somebody. If nobody knows, if there isn't communication, if you don't have things preset, um, then, then, then you have chaos. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. So before we get back around to that topic and the sales and marketing alignment and whatnot, um, let's, let's get people a little more familiar with you who you are. I gave you a brief intro there, but can you give us kind of some of your, um, some of your history, basically, why should people listen to you? That, you know, that's a great question. Tell us, Michael. <laughs> and, and they probably shouldn't, but no. Uh, so if you're not familiar with Sandler, Sandler is a 50 
plus year old methodology of, of sales training. I was a client of Sandler seven years ago. It had a really big impact on my professional life. Uh, interestingly enough, it had a big impact on my personal life. And after using it successfully in my sales career for about six years, I decided that I wanted to start my own Sandler business, which I did <clears throat> last year. I want, to, I want to ask you something, though. But what was the biggest impact in your professional career that it helped you with? Yeah, that's, it, that's a really good question. It's, it, and I think the, the CEO, Sandler Global, has a really good quote. It says, Sandler is, is a really effective communication tool that happens to work great in sales. Hmm. So it helped me understand my clients better. It helped me realize that not everybody is going to be an ideal prospect and that's okay. And we always tell our prospects, you know, we might not be a good fit for you. Are you okay telling me that if that's how you feel? Because people sometimes have a hard time telling people no and same on our side, not everybody's a fit for us. And if that's the case, rather than just having happy years and thinking that we're going to cram a square peg into a round hole, we, we let people know. So, you know, fast forward, like I said, professionally, that's how it helped. I was spending less time with unqualified prospects and getting those quicker, mm. but, but also figuring out who was a qualified prospect and getting to a yes quicker. And right. So it's a communication tool, <laughs> not a sales tool kind of. That's why it works in the personal life as well. You're like, oh, I know how to communicate better now. I can get through stuff. Well, I really like the analogy. You know, it's a communication tool that works well with sales. Mm -hmm. I was just really curious because you you do this like about face and now you have your your own, is it a franchise? But you know, it really made such an impact on you. Before you got too far, I wanted to see what was the biggest impact that made that decide, you know, made you decide to go into Sandler as a profession. Yeah, and that's like I said, I'll I'll give you an example if we if we have a minute, but and I always use this example in training that you know, when I was first getting into Sandler as a trainee seven years ago, there's this concept called reversing or answering a question with a question because a lot of times the question people ask you it isn't the real question and there's a different intent behind there. So I was working yeah. at a startup, I was working really long hours, I was getting home at you know seven, eight o'clock at night, and my my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, we were living together, asked me if excuse me, she said, Are you working late on Friday? And I said, Hmm, I said, you're asking for a reason. And she said, well, yeah, I want to have dinner with you. And I said, you know, great. I'm, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad I reversed your question because I am working late on Friday, but how about I get home and we have, we go out for a nice late dinner. And she was like, that's great. Whereas if I would have said, yeah, I'm working late, she would have assumed that we weren't going to be having dinner. She would have been pissed off and I would have had that wrath. And that happens so many times in the sales process where we answer a question. That's not the real question. And we've lost a sale opportunity, but we haven't even realized it. So that's what I mean when I say it's a, it's a communication tool that happens to work well in sales. Got it. Nice, nice. So uh, Got it. let's get back to more. That's, we understand Sandler a bit, what you guys do there. Um, what about you? Your, your path. So you were working in another company. You, you went through Sandler training, right? Right. That had a big impact on your professional and personal life. Then at some point you decided to open your own Sandler franchise to leave the place you were at, open your own franchise. It was that effective on you. 
it, it was that effective. <laughs> Where you said, I, I mean, we see, we do see a lot of people who say this, they get to their company because um, that company was a client of theirs or they were a client of that company. And they, what they see in the company is so good. They're like, I need to go there. I need to be part of that. Um, so that's kind of what you saw in Sandler was I need to be part of that. And well, like I said, I was in tech and I was in startups and, you know, people, they say, Oh, you know, Sandler can, we have a couple people, you know, everyone's wearing a million hats. Can you help the team out and just, you know, teach them some of what, you know, and I was doing that and I was seeing other people get results. And I, I was like, I really enjoy this and I believe in it a hundred percent. And one day it just hit me. It's like, this is what I need to do. Nice. Nice. So getting back to the, uh, the sales and marketing alignment part of it, then, um, when we talked before on this, you said something that, um, that struck me about your personal philosophy in, um, in sales marketing kind of for, for management overall. Uh, can you share that a little bit having to do with, um, measuring stuff and expectations and whatnot? Yeah, absolutely. So I, what I mentioned to you was that I, I really believe no matter what size company you are, like we talked about a big public company where sales and marketing might have a different relationship or a smaller one. It's really all about setting the right expectation between both sides or between both groups and having something that's, that's measurable. So as a specific example, if I tell you that, that this is what I think is a sales qualified lead and you disagree, then inherently we're going to have, a disagreement once that lead that I don't think is a good lead gets sent to sales. Now I'm accountable for, for closing that or counts against my team's closing percentage. Inherently we're going to have a conflict because we mm-hmm. both have different ideas of what it should be. But if Sky, you're in marketing and you're running marketing and you're the VP of marketing, I'm the VP of sales. And we sit down together and say, Hey, can we agree that if something has a lead score of this or whatever that criteria is that this is an acceptable lead to go to sales, then there's never going to be a disagreement between us because you're saying this is what we've agreed on. This is what we've asked for. And once we get it, I can't say, well, well, this one doesn't count because I I don't like it. We agreed on what it is. We've have a very specific measurable criteria. So if you're basically renegotiating every time there's an interaction back and forth, you're going to have a disaster. But if you set the parameters ahead of time and say, Hey, if it has a Gmail, it's not, you can't consider it marketing qualified. You have to further qualify it or or whatever it is. Um, You do that ahead of time. Then the process is smoother. Then you're not fighting over that when you have that in front of you. You can kind of lay, it's, it's kind of like the who owns what process, who's accountable to who sales and marketing, except for with individual lead handoff and stuff, just set it ahead of time. And then everybody can be agreed when it comes along. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, that's the good, good companies, companies that are great individuals that are great. They have a, they have a process, they figure out what works and they just keep doing the exact same thing and create a, a dynamic growth base mentality and, and, and again, same in, in sales and marketing. If we know what works for us and we've agreed upon it, then there's never going to be a disagreement. And if, I guess if we take it a little further, if we get down six months down the road and we decide something, hey, something's not working here, then we can look at it and say, you know, is sales not doing their job properly? Do we need to re, you know, revisit the discussion on what is a sales 
qualified lead, but we can we we can track the the progression of things and we we can figure out what works, what doesn't, what needs to be changed. But we're not going to be doing a one-off thing every time we don't like a lead that comes in because we've already agreed yeah. as to what is and what is don't not. Don't you find, Michael, that it's best practices to periodically review it, like every six months? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it's always it, – you, you always got to be measuring, setting expectations, setting goals, and then when you – yeah, when you get to the six-month mark, you're saying, hey, we've either – overachieved our goal we've underachieved our goal or we're at exactly what we set as our goal and then we decide does this need to be tweaked or do we keep doing what we're doing because it's working really well yeah now, for, for sales and marketing to work together to align really well obviously is is ideal um what kind of things should sales and marketing be doing i mean let's say we have a company where sales and marketing are either fighting or you're just getting started and assume it's going to be a mid-sized company um, should they be having meetings together on a weekly basis? Should they be like, should they have one person that oversees both departments? What are your thoughts on, on those type of things? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And I, in the, I guess in the mid-sized company, especially now what I'm tending to see a lot of is the, the role of chief revenue officer who mm -hmm. is, who, who oversees the VP of sales and the VP of marketing. They all roll up to him. I feel like that's kind of a cop out where they call it chief revenue. Cause they're worried if they call him like a chief sales and marketing officer, the, either the sales side will say, yeah, but he came from marketing. So he's out to get us. Or the marketing side will say he came from sales. So he's out to get us. So they're like, we'll just well, call I think him they were revenue. Trying to find and, then, uh, and then we won't have any fight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know, maybe a valid point. Um, Almost more but, of a joke than a point, but still. Yeah, no, I, I was. I, I'm just laughing because I'm. I'm. I, I'm just ima literally imagining both sides arguing over, over who's right, and that's that's a funny. But it's really yeah. the guy that is over sales and marketing. Or yeah, woman. And the, come and, on, go to KJ. And, and then so, yeah. huh? and then some companies have the VP of sales and the VP of marketing as separate people, and they're the tops of their organization who report up to either COO, CFO, or a CEO. But again, I, I think it's like you said, Sky. Just a matter of of agreeing who's of not you know putting the egos aside and agreeing what the process is because you can't say one thing is going to work for every company. Each company needs to decide what their process is and how it works for them. And going further than that, I you know I can give a really good example working for for a startup that had built some momentum, where the expectation between sales and marketing was once you know, once a new client is onboarded, once they've been on board for 30 days and they're happy sales and marketing are having a meeting to make an introduction where the salesperson makes an introduction to the new client for case studies, because always a big thing for, for startup companies to get some validation. So I, I think in order for the, the two groups to be most successful, you have to put, you have to put egos aside. You have to be defining very stringently what the agreements are and creating something that's measurable. And I know I said that before, but I, you know, I, I can't iterate that enough. And I think in life in general, most disagreements between people and groups come from bad expectations. Or immeasurable things. So then it's just two people's opinions or feelings or something like that. Like you can't, you can't uh, say it's a lead or not a lead based on your feeling about it. It has to be something measurable. Right. 
A hundred percent. Yeah. That's to be objective. Yeah. Or based on your quota not being hit. So you need these 10 leads yeah. or hundred leads. And, and that's always when it seems to break down when people are missing quotas, they start saying, oh, these leads suck. And everybody gets along when things are going great. Exactly. You know? That's why I say with the military, the chain of command, much more important once you're in battle, because once things are going bad, you need to have some accountability. You, things have to be defined already. If you wait till that moment to define stuff, everybody's going to be, you know, just going at, after, after each other. So are there, are there a couple things you can think of for when it comes to being able to measure things, being able to hold people accountable? Are there some key things from the sales side that, um, you know, that sales would like to see from marketing or that, that both sides need together in order to, um, in order for, in order for that to work, you know, what, what kind of things do people need to make sure they have so they can measure? Yeah. So the, 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 the very first thing that comes to mind and I hear this a lot is, is a response time from sales. And that that's typically, you know, I hear people talking about an SLA and, depending on what type of company you work at, there's, there's usually an SLA of something like five minutes because we know just from research that leads that are responded to within the first five minutes have like a 10x chance of closing rather than someone that waits anything longer than five minutes and even more extreme if it's a day, two days, three days. I have to step in there because we talk mostly B2B. No, not mostly. We talk B2B marketing here and <laughs> yeah. in the consumer world. This stat has driven me nuts for a long time. I understand it's true in the consumer world, but it falls apart once you get into longer sales cycle and B2B marketing. Yep. And I don't want people to get the wrong impression here. Either that one that you're putting out something that's not true. It absolutely is for consumer marketing and some B2B products that have quick turnaround times that are impulse buys. But for most B2B products, that turnaround time is way different. It's, you know, get back within 24 hours just to show that you are professional kind of versus the five minutes because in a consumer product, they're going to be on to somewhere else and have bought by the time you get back to them or, or, or whatnot. In the B2B world, it's a, it's a different cycle, I guess I'd say. We always um, see it in the B2B world on our end, though. The fast, I mean, 24 hours sometimes can be um, too late when it's top of mind. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know you, if 24 hours is the best because people get, in get when bombarded, they're busy. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. If you can, I mean, if somebody comes into a live chat and you get back to them 24 hours later, obviously you're not exactly That's coming no across no. well. Um, but if they send you an email and you get back 24 hours later, okay, a little longer than you'd like, but it's not a huge drop off. Like so it's acceptable. Yeah. 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 So sorry, I, I we to hijack things with a little caveat there on that, uh, on that study. Okay, so, so where were we at? You're talking about the SLA and the, and the turnaround time and kind of the expectation or the um, um, the accountability that that sales has to these leads what other type of stuff do you want to measure and hold accountable from from one either side to the other if you look at longer term and you look at the the entire sales cycle and you're able to you're you're really able to identify what closing rates look like by different lead sources and if if you look at what's work and if you have enough data to to say to actually track leads and a lot of people don't because they don't get this granular in a CRM, but you can tie campaigns and you can tie different marketing stuff to, to close ratios. I think that's a, obviously a very important thing to track because we know if, if, 
you know, of course, salespeople are always going to complain about things and always have their gripes about, you know, what, what's working and what isn't. There, there's also a time when those complaints are valid and legitimate. And if we can say that, hey, this, you know, this campaign or this, you know, th this activity or this trade show or what, whatever it is that we did didn't produce optimal results, then it, it, it's important to measure and identify that so that there is some validity being given to salespeople's concerns and complaints that, you know, sometimes, of course, they're going to complain a lot and that's just the nature of salespeople. But yes, yeah, sometimes there is a, a valid point where they're getting leads and they're just, the leads just aren't good and they're not converting right. and we need to give some. And that all goes back to the whole marketing qualified lead, sales qualified lead objectively. What is it? You know, how did this compare with that? So on and so forth. It it's, all goes back to that. It's why I always prefer marketing reporting to sales as well to for sales to own marketing because, um, then sales is holding marketing accountable and you don't get the knee jerk reaction of, Oh, it's a salesperson complaining. I always say there's a, there's a difference between somebody whining because they want something more or they don't want to do the work and somebody giving feedback. If your company is creating a bunch of garbage leads and your salespeople are saying, Hey, these are garbage and you're from the marketing side and you have this entrenched vision of, Oh, salespeople are just complainers because they aren't hitting their numbers. So it's like, well, maybe they aren't hitting their numbers because you guys are doing a shitty job in marketing and aren't giving them any sales, any leads they can close. If you're not willing to look at that and take their complaints seriously and figure out if it's just a whining person who's underperforming and lazy, or if you really have a lead problem, you're going to fail and you're going to fail just, you know, because of this lack of sales and marketing alignment, because you know, you were marketing oriented and figured whatever you're doing is good and they're just not towing their, their weight. Um, so yeah, you have to listen to it and actually look at it. I guess that's where the CRM, having that data in the CRM to be able to Yeah, that's to ideal. Um, and surprisingly enough, you'd be, well, I was surprised to find out that a lot of companies don't use a CRM. They don't? They don't. I, of course, a lot of them do, but I'm always surprised when I hear of companies that don't use a CRM and even companies that do don't necessarily use, use them well enough to identify that stuff. But Sky, I think one of the other things that I mentioned to you early on, because this kept coming up in my conversations is that, and, and it's especially true in, in tech companies that when you go on the website, it says sign up for, sign up for a demo. And mm -hmm. I appreciate that and we need to get people interested. We need to get people engaged. But when, when somebody comes through with the expectation and you can't blame them that, Hey, I signed up for a demo. I want to see what you got. That's generally doesn't work out well for the salesperson or for the buyer because the salesperson's in a situation where they're needing to fulfill the expectation that they've the marketing gave to the, the prospect that you, Hey, come on board and, or, you know, sign up and we'll show you everything we got. The salesperson doesn't get the opportunity to understand what the pain is that the, the prospect has. And like we said earlier, they might not know what their, their problem is. So it's. But shouldn't that be in the sales like process? Like even if someone signs up for a demo, the guy's got to talk to them and communicate and ask questions and find out what the pain point is. I think what Michael's saying is that's really pre-sales. If you have a salesman, you're wasting his time following up or giving a demo to somebody who fill out a form with the email address, abcdemotest at gmail.com. 
And you're just like, how is this something this sales guy should be oh, spending time that, on? Is that, I missed that. Are you yeah, talking this, about invalid email addresses or? Not, not even invalid. It might be real. You know, it could be John Smith at yeah. Gmail. But John Smith is just a yeah. guy who wants to learn about how demos work for all you know. He has no yeah. interest in the product. It hasn't actually been qualified. Just because the person says, I want to see your stuff, doesn't mean a salesperson should take time out of their day when they could be closing people into really a demo is a qualifying aspect. So sorry, Michael, mm-hmm. to kind of jump in on that. No, I think what good. do you think about, about demos, Michael? Is that something that people should consider having the marketing department handle? For a sales lead qualifier? I mean, you would have a lead qualifier team member, right? So for, forgive me if I, if I impose some of my the, the Sandler methodology here, but... Impose it. Impose it. Okay, so... <laughs> You know, t- typically the you know the way we see traditional selling is that you got you know sales asks a couple of open-ended questions, gets a little understanding, and does it, and then does a demo. The the buyer, the prospect says that that's great, thanks. You know, let's talk next week, and we can probably figure something out. The salesperson calls them six or seven times, and finally realizes that the buyer's in the witness protection program, and they're never really going to find them. Whereas in our methodology, we're, we train our clients and we follow, we eat our own dog food and follow the same process is finding out what is, is there a need? Is there really a need for the product? And again, getting, getting to the no, it might not be, you know, you might not think that we're a good fit for what you do. We might think that you're not a good fit for our services, understanding, Hey, is there, is there a budget for this purchase? If so, let's, Let's figure out what it is, understanding the decision-making process. And, and once you've understood all that, then getting to the demo. And depending on what business you're in, that could be you know, multiple meetings, that could be multiple months or even multiple years. So the idea of just giving a demo, we kind of talk about it as like the ugly baby syndrome where you're, you, know, you might have an ugly baby, but you think it's the prettiest thing in the world and you think everybody wants to see it, but they're, they're, they're probably not necessarily as excited as you are to go spend 60 minutes seeing everything that you can do when only 5% of that may be applicable to them. Right. Mm-hmm. It gives me the impression that, and I hate to keep going, we usually we don't talk so much about the client's company, but the sales training aspect in this part, um, you know, I, I've always said, and a lot of people say that no is my second favorite answer in sales. And I also really dislike and have a lot of thoughts around the customer's always right phrase. I feel like the customer was always right was invented for like a retail store at Christmas time where you just hired a high schooler and you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. So you don't trust him to know if the customer's right or not. And I feel like Sandler training probably, or sales training, let's say in general, um, enables a sales person to be good enough at their job to make that decision properly so that they're not wasting time on everybody with this just rote rule of, of pursue everyone all the time, whatever they say, whatever they want, do it. Like you're, you know, you're actually going to be skilled at your job enough to properly handle it, which then comes back to now you shouldn't be handling these super low level leads and qualifying them. Right. And <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would agree with that a hundred percent. And, you know, bringing this back to the, to the marketing side, it's, you know, I, I think there has to be buy-in from them too, to understand that you guys are, busting your ass to get leads in and we on the sales side that's appreciated but also understand that some of these people were just going to disqualify very early on and that's not necessarily any based on anything that you're doing wrong but based on 
the process on the sales side. Right. Fantastic. Um, I want to jump off to a short break here. Uh, after the break, uh, we'll get into a situation where sales and marketing are fighting kind of whose, whose problem is it? Who, how do you solve it? How to avoid uh, fighting and uh, some, some kind of do's and don'ts with the uh, getting sales and marketing aligned, working on the same page, accountable, all that kind of good stuff. So uh, you're listening to the If You Market podcast. We have Michael Gordon from Sandler Training with us today, and we will be right back. Is your data company ignoring and gouging you or gouging and ignoring you? Those are the main reasons our customers move from the previous list provider, Mountaintop Data's top data search platform. What's top data search? Well, with top data search, you can search our database of 20 million plus business contacts and download lists with complete contact information. It's a convenient tool for both sales and marketing departments to get accurate lists. It's free to have an account. There's no annual contracts, no seat fees. Top data search is just easy access to accurate data. And when you reach out to us with questions, we actually give you answers. Visit topdatasearch.com and sign up for a free account with the coupon code IYM300 and get 300 free credits. Or if you're just curious, go to topdatasearch.com and run some searches on our open search tool, no account needed, by clicking the search now button. That's at topdatasearch.com. Welcome back to the If You Market Podcast. We are talking today with Michael Gordon of Sandler Training, talking about sales and marketing alignment. Before the break, Michael, I was saying we wanted to talk about, you know, if sales and marketing are fighting, what to do there. Um, I think uh, KJ brought up, though, that we kind of need to finish this discussion on the lead qualification and sales and marketing in that aspect. Um, and what, what came up there at the break was SDRs. We didn't really bring them up. So you have this form fill lead for a demo. What do you do? Yeah. So SDRs is a really interesting topic. And I think you'll get, you know, if you ask 10, 10 companies, you'll get 10 different answers about SDRs, anything from, you know, how far do they go with the prospect who, you know, I heard, I just heard yesterday a debate about is do SDRs report to sales? Do they report to marketing? Who owns them? We talk about that a lot here. Yeah. I guess any I think, answer I think about it should be owned by sales. <laughs> any, I mean, That's it's called a sales. If it would be an MDR, if it was a, uh, <laughs> but um, I guess any answer to the SDR question, except for "huh," is a good answer. If you're right. asking people about it. <laughs> well, so, so in in and again, I'm, I'm going to give you the Sandler stuff because KJ told me to go for it. In yes, in our qualification process, it's it's a qualified prospect is pain budget decision and i heard a funny quote from another sandler guy the other day who was talking about sdrs and he said the sdr has to get meatloaf and i was like i don't get it and he said they have two out of three ain't bad which i guess is a meatloaf song sorry i'm not a big meatloaf fan but understanding is do you have do you have pain do you have budget do you have pain and know the decision making process but that's the extent of the the SDR is understanding that you have two of the three qualification steps before it's actually passed on to an account executive. I like that. So you don't, it isn't like you, Hey, you have to have all three. Maybe they don't know about budget, but they're still a great target. That's just how they're operating. Um, It doesn't mean you should throw it out. Right. And, and the argument that I, that I had heard about who the SDR reports to was, was kind of, I guess, objective, but 
what they'd actually said was that when the SDRs don't have a defined territory geographically that they had them reporting to marketing, when they did have hmm. a defined territory and it was easier to assign SDRs to a specific rep who had a territory than they reported to sales. But again, I, I think that really just depends on how you're, you know, how your organization set up. Personally, to me, I think SDRs or, or salespeople, they should report to the sales. They should be live on the sales team, report to the, the, the VP of sales. And again, the, the meatloaf thing really. I agree with you. Because that's, you know, it, it's tough to say when that transition's handed off. And I think two out of three ain't bad. So that's my new mantra is meatloaf. And then uh, to, to, to quote uh, songs or use songs for your sales and marketing strategy. Uh, sometimes when you're talking about lead generation and qualifying companies need to go with uh, the, she's not the best, but the, she's the best I could get. Uh, country Western strategy of saying, look, oh, gosh. whatever leads you're getting, <laughs> your salespeople need to take them, uh, you know, take the best leads, but maybe these are the best you can get. So don't get too picky. Yep. I'll, I'll agree with that. Um, okay. Great. So we kind of tackled the SDR. I'd go back to my ultimate philosophy of whether you put them on sales, whether you put them on marketing, wherever you put them, as long as you think about it and have a reason for putting them somewhere, and even then you can be wrong, but you made a decision instead of just having things happen. Um, that, that's kind of always the wrong decision is to have not thought about it. Okay, uh, so then moving on to sales and marketing fighting. Yes. What do you, what do you say, Gore? How do you separate these dogs when they're fighting and, uh, and, and sort things out? And how do you prevent them from fighting? Yeah, I'm gonna, well, I'm going to start with kind of a soft, warm, and, and fuzzy answer, which isn't typically my style. But I can say as... What do you, do you typically go for the jugular? Is that what you're saying? No, I don't go for the jugular. But what I was going to say is one way I see to, to kind of help this situation out is to just have some activities between sales and marketing out of the office. Because I know as a, as a sales rep in the past, and I... You know, I could say probably until a couple of years ago, I, I didn't even know who the marketing people were in, in the companies that I worked at. I know the marketing people didn't typically know who the salespeople were. So just having some time to meet each other, you know, build some rapport, do a little bonding, have some fun together. I think that goes a long way in any relationship. Now, but maybe activities I, to stay away from paintball, dodgeball, anything where sales and marketing are fighting in the activity. Not so great. Yeah, well, who knows? Maybe they get a little, take a little anger out on each other and then, you know, work it out over some beers afterward. But um, so, I, like I said, that's kind of a soft thing and that's not typically something I'd suggest, but I think that goes a long way. But I, I think definitely things to stay away from is, you know, waiting till the end of the quarter, the end of the month, the end of the quarter, the end of the year, because that's when the pressure is on you don't, that's probably not the best time to start looking at, you know, who's doing what and or what's working, what's not working because people are emotional. The pressure's on. People are yeah. looking for excuses, not solutions. It's their job. It's personal all of a sudden. It's their it, job. It, exactly. It's personal, yeah. emotional, and it, it, it never should be personal, emotional. It should be professional and business-based. And I know we're all guilty of falling off, you know, that, that path sometimes, but not waiting till the last minute to start, figuring out what, you know, what's, what's wrong or who's, who's to blame addressing it earlier in the, either in the year, in the month, in the quarter, whatever the, you know, the period of measurement is. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, would you say, let's say things are going wrong. And so sales and sales and marketing are fighting. Um, is it important to place blame somewhere or, or maybe in a, a more professional words to, to hold somebody accountable or some buddies accountable to figure out where things went wrong and, and, and hold them accountable in that way? Well, it has to be somebody's job. Yeah. And I, and I know otherwise it's nobody's job. Right. And I, I think, and, and I'll say this for the third time, just because it, it seems to be a concept or it seems to be a recurring theme that somebody has to be in charge. And like KJ said, it, it's gotta be somebody's job and somebody needs to be held accountable and it can't just, it does it's, it's not going to be a viable concept to say, Oh, well, you know, we'll just, this guy will be in charge of making sure the marketing leads are good. And this guy will be in charge of, you know, making sure sales is doing their job. There need, there needs to be assigned people that are held accountable. And again, there needs to be very specific criteria to measure, because if you say, I want, you know, we, we want good leads or we want you to respond quickly to the leads that come in my idea of quickly and your idea of quickly is two different things. So I think taking right. the quickly can't be measured. You have to have a number kind of <laughs> again, have... objectivity. Yes. Objectivity. Yep. Yeah. Something measurable uh, quickly versus we have people tell us sometimes we're in the data business and they'll say, we want large companies. I'll say, great. So 10 plus employees. And they're like, no, well, you're going to have to define large. We want companies on the East Coast, on the West Coast. I, I'm sorry, but we need a definition. There's no such thing as East Coast, West Coast. Um, we, we, you, know, you can't put that into a database and come out with a, with, with a value. You need to right. actually define things better. And, yeah, and so defining that, because if, you, if somebody says West Coast, and you're like, well, to me, West Coast is California, right. you know, or, Oregon, and, and Washington, and I send you, you know, a, bunch of these, a bunch of data for these these three states and you're, and you say that that's, no, that's not at all what I wanted. Then we're going to be, we're going to yeah, be. You, you got a problem because you didn't actually make it definable and measurable. Right. Um, and whatnot. Okay. And I guess, so one of the problems I see people having is when they look to hold somebody accountable, it's okay. The quarter's over the month or whatever it is where you're looking at stuff. You say, this didn't work out. Um, oh, that was this guy's job. So it's his fault. It's like, well, he has a boss, right? his boss during that quarter was to hold him accountable. I feel like when you get to the end of stuff, the person who it broke down with isn't really the person who's at fault. It's that person's boss for not holding him accountable at that point. You know, they don't, they don't fire a, um, somebody on the floor in a retail store at the end of the year when stuff went bad, they get rid of the CEO. Like they were supposed to make sure along the management chain, your job during the time period is to make sure these things are handled so that when it comes report time, it's good. And that, that's why you have leaders is because it's, you know, they're accountable kind of. Right. And, and I, I guess to that point is, you know, people always talk about, you know, commission and, and comp plans and what things look like as far as like, here's, here's what you're going to get paid if you're successful. Here's what you're going to get paid per sale. But people don't ever in advance talk about, well, what happens if we miss the target? Yeah. Right. I think in sales, the ultimate thing hanging over their head is always like, you're going to lose your job if you don't hit your, hit your targets. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and, and it's not necessarily, that's very true, but there's typically a progression before, you know, you'll miss, miss, somebody doesn't miss a quarter for one month. 
and I'm sure some companies do and say, you missed your quota one month, you're fired. It's, Hey, we're going to have a, we're going to have a, a verbal warning. We're going to have a conversation. We're going to make sure you understand what you're responsible for and make sure that you have the tools to do it. We're going to show you again how to do it. And then if it happens a second time, we're going to, we're going to write you up. And if it happens a third time, then we're going to fire you. But people don't have, again, don't have those conversations in advance. They, they have them right. a lot for here's what happens if you do well, but they don't have the conversation of here's what happens. If you don't, if it's you uncomfortable. Don't do so they don't want to do it. And that goes back to defining expectations. Right. And I, and I keep harping on that, but I, you know, we really find that any, just most things that happen are a lack of unclear expectations. Yeah, you seem to have a hang up, Michael, on the super important thing of defining expectations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you really, I, I you're really stuck I'm, on that. I'm guilty. So, other, uh, so, I mean, we're talking about the departments are fighting with each other, things aren't working, how to avoid that and, and, and whatnot. Um, any other kind of tips Getting them together, yes. Defining expectations, always good. All that. Anything else in that area that can that can help people out, or things things to avoid. You know, things to make sure you don't do that can cause friction unnecessarily. And if we covered it, that's great. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just trying to think, and I'll you know I'll be honest. I think I told you this before, Sky. I don't marketing's not my strong suit. I, you know, my my background's in sales. So. Oh, that's why we have you here. Come from the sales side. I mean, tell us from sales, what, what do you need to see from marketing? What, what do you see marketing doing that causes problems with interacting with sales? I mean, that, that's, that's why you're here from the sales side. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I think well, to me, what would be helpful, I don't think I've you know, ever personally experienced this on the sales side, but would be mar just marketing, having a conversation with sales of, letting them know what's going on saying, you know, it, you'll see it before a trade show before a bigger trade show. There's kind of that, that pre pre-show brief where they're saying like, here's the, you know, here's some of the collateral we put out. Here's the events that we're putting on. But just if, if we apply that same principle in a more general term so that marketing is explaining to sales, like, Hey, here's some of the, the campaigns we we have going on. Here's some of the, maybe the buyer personas that we're, we're targeting or here's some of the content that we're pushing out and this is why we're doing it. That, I think that paints a better picture for, for salespeople. I think it works really well at trade shows because everybody on the sales floor, everybody at the booth knows exactly the collateral that's been done, the people that are coming by the booth, what they've, what they've, what they've heard. So it, they have a better understanding of what people's expectations are coming to the booth. So I think if we were to apply that again to, just the overall marketing strategy across the company throughout the, you know, the month, quarter, and year, sales has a better idea of the big picture, and you know, they're able to say, "I I understand what's happening, and I'm bought into this," as opposed to them just getting leads and saying, "This is what it is," and I think this is BS. So that's an interesting. You mentioned bought in. Um, I have a, a thing that I've tried to let people know here when I when I have meetings. And I get a line of optimism, I think, from a manager. Um, and, and what I've told them is, in front of the company, in front of the clients, I need them to exude optimism. Yes, I need them to be a cheerleader. But when you're in the huddle, I need the numbers. I need the truth. Because we can't right. work with, you know, where's our weakness? What do we need to watch out for? If we get into the huddle and you say, everything's great, we're awesome, nobody can stop us, 
when, you know, really we have certain things we need to watch out for, we're going to run into a disaster. Um, so I tell them in the meetings, in the management meetings, you can't be telling me rah, 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 everything's amazing. We're going to kill it. When you know there's issues, say that to your guys on the floor so that, you know, you, you have them, they're motivated and, and whatnot and everything's good there. But when you're in a meeting, the whole point is to report the facts, the actual numbers. Like you can't come in and you have just to manage me, by statistics, right? right? Like you can never give 110% in a meeting. That's, that, that's the wrong idea in a meeting. You need to have actual real numbers, I guess I'd say. Like, don't say we did our best last week in a meeting if you know you did a half-assed job. Say we did a half-assed job. Otherwise, we're setting these, these numbers within a, within a meeting, within management, and we can't properly adjust and fix when you're basically lying about the situation to make things sound better or because you don't want people to lose confidence. Like, I'm sorry, but we're in management. This is not, you know, this, this, this is not the boots on the ground place. We need to be able to strategize here and we can't do it. If you're lying through the, you know, through the, uh, the mirror of optimism or through the mirror of morale. I agree completely. And I think that, I think part of that is, you know, just giving people permission to, open up and be honest and be, you know, say it like it is, whether it's good or bad and let people know that that's, you know, if you made a mistake or if you screwed up that it's okay to talk about it because like you said, otherwise you're looking, you're not looking at the right problem. Right. In, in a meeting, you know, in, in maybe not on the floor, maybe not to all of your employees, but behind the scenes, you have to say, here's the problem. Yes, we effed this up and that's why the numbers are this know when we don't F it up, it'll be this, you know, you can, ex you can actually expect this. This isn't, uh, you know, the best that it gets <laughs> kind of the, to go back to the country Western song. <laughs> um, okay. Fantastic. Look into the future here when it comes to sales and marketing alignment, things like lead scoring, things like, uh, uh, you know, MQLs and SQLs and, and what's being measured and whatnot. Um, with stuff like AI and all the MarTechs out there, I know MarTechs have made a big change already in what can be measured, but um, do you see any shift? Are we in the dark ages now and things are going to get much better once you have, uh, you know, Hal um, running these, uh, these things and saying who's, who did what and where we should be? I, that's a pretty loaded question. I, I, <laughs> I like most technology I see, I see it improving some, certainly improving some areas and also creating other challenges in other areas. And maybe an example of that is things like chatbots where, you know, we can drive somebody to a website, we can use a chatbot to do, do some sort of qualification or even understand based on some data that we have, if there's somebody that we want to speak with or somebody that we want to pass along to sales. But, and I think that would be the good part. But again, I, I also think that there is challenges that it creates of, I, I don't know how long or how smart is a, a group of human beings we're going to need to get before, you know, the AI can take over the role for, for a salesperson. And I think if we try and move that too fast, we're definitely have some issues. And sorry, I can't think of, I guess really not necessarily sales. I've gotten AI bot sales calls before. They're, they're terrible. I'm sure they'll get better at some point. Well, of course. But, <laughs> um, but things to like measuring. You're talking about measuring mm -hmm. and defining expectations. AI can crunch a whole lot more data and decide what should be measured, what actually matters. 
or, or constantly change what's being measured and, and how to hold people accountable and whatnot. Um, you know, you can look into big data instead of just, instead of having some basic numbers, they can look a lot deeper into everything that's going on within the sales cycle, within the marketing cycle. Um, so that, you know, so you don't have leads that are being passed off that aren't properly qualified. I guess they, they can just look at so many more parameters. For us as humans, you want to simplify it down to a couple parameters and say, okay, here's three things, pain, budget, decision. But AI might say, here's 50 things and get a more accurate assessment um, on what should be handed off. Um, that, that kind of stuff, I guess, is, is what I was talking about. Yeah. And to your, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I think a really good example of that is the, uh, I think the company's called Gong, mm -hmm. where they're actually recording sales conversations. And what they're able to do is say, you know, when this concept is what I think they say specifically when the concept of, of price is brought up too early in the conversation, the chance of a sale happening goes down by 40 or 50%. Whereas when it comes up midway through the conversation, that the likelihood of a sale goes goes up by 50%. So yeah, I think we're, and the same thing is going to apply to, to leads and the same thing is going to apply to, to buying cycles and tracking data and, and, and things like that, that we'll have a better understanding of what needs to happen and where we need to move in order to be more efficient and work, work better together from both sides and as individual departments. Right. Fantastic. Um, one thing you mentioned earlier, CRMs. Yes. Um, so the measurable and defined expectations, having things to measure, having, being able to look in and see where something goes wrong, what's working, what's not. CRM is kind of super important in that area. Um, do you have any recommendations for CRMs? Uh, any, any CRMs that you particularly like that people might want to look into? Yeah. I think it depends on, I, I'm not a CRM expert. I, I think it really just depends on, on your company. And I won't, like I said, I won't try and talk out of, you know, out of my area of expertise. So just have one. Don't, don't use Excel. Don't use <laughs> yeah, Outlook. Have, have, a CRM. Ha, have something. Yeah. Have something. I mean, there's so many options out there and I know there's so much good stuff, but have, yeah, have something that fits your needs. But as far as recommending one or versus the other, I, not, not really my area of expertise. I guess I'd say obviously the, the most popular CRM is, uh, is Salesforce. Um, if a company is, is large enough to afford it, that's a fantastic CRM. But then there's a ton of others. And most of these, if you're small, they're actually very affordable as well. Because you're small, you don't actually need, you, you don't need much. You don't have, it isn't like you're a tiny company with a hundred salespeople and a marketing team that needs to be on the CRM. Uh, the problem kind of solves itself when you have uh, a lot of people on it. Right. Yeah, I, I'd agree. And I think the, you know, the reason Salesforce is so dominant and so expensive is because they build the entire ecosystem that nobody has. They have so many integrations and, you know, if, if you're a company with 10 people, you don't, you probably don't, you probably don't have integration with necessarily accounting and sales and, and you probably don't need it. I mean, exactly. You probably don't need it. It's probably beyond your capabilities technically. And, but if you're a company with 10,000 people, then trying to do some of that stuff manually is a huge undertaking and super costly as far as the manpower required. Right. If you've got 10 people, just Google CRM and find one that's for your size. Yeah. And there's, and there's free CRMs out there too. Yeah. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I think um, Sugar CRM is a, they have a decent offering, but you need to be pretty technical for the free version to set it up on your own servers and whatnot. But there's just a ton of stuff out there. Just make sure you have something there other than Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Using using the spreadsheet isn't good even for for brand new startups. Yeah, I, I even say if you're a single person, if you have one salesperson, one person that's going to be using it, you still get a CRM set because I remember when our when our company transitioned into a CRM, it's a lot once you build up to transition everything in and not lose stuff. If you're starting out and you have a free CRM, once you have those files, you have the files. It's no problem. You can export them and import them into another CRM. It's very easy to deal with versus all the manual entry over time that you've done into spreadsheets and pulling stuff out of your email clients and all that stuff to put it into something where you can now track stuff and actually measure things and, and whatnot. Right. And, and, and if you have one salesperson, it's generally pretty important that you manage that person and manage their activities. And that's the, the, the spreadsheet does, doesn't do a great job of that. Yeah. <laughs> Hard to hold people <laughs> no, accountable. Yep. When there's nothing to, uh, nothing to look at except for the final number kind of, um, <laughs> good, good point there. Uh, any other texts that you find useful for particularly communication between sales and marketing, keeping things lined up? I mean, CRM seems like the big one that both sales and marketing use. Um, any, anything else that they would both use that you need or people want to look into? Not, not that, not that I can think of off the top of my head. Maybe just a pinata, go to the park, hit a pinata together. <laughs> exactly. Bond. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, uh, a ping pong table, a wrestling mat, and pizza and beer on Fridays. And what about what about uh, company? Um, you know, companies have a softball team or something like that. It, it seems like a very good reason to have something like that, or maybe to say, you know what, we have this team and we just we just loaded it up with a handful of ringers. Maybe let's instead have a team that's just half sales and half marketing, or that we make sure that the people they, they may not be the best pitchers, but they're uh, you know <laughs> not the best hitters or whatever it is but we need them working together. Uh, should people look to, when you talk about activities, to, to put those office activities to intentionally put people together? I, I think so. I mean, so that's not, really engagement. I mean, that's across the board, but especially marketing and sales. Yeah, I mean, because I, yeah. I've, I've been to those. I've, I, like I said, I worked in tech and having, you know, it, it's fun to whatever, have the bowling night with everyone and, you know, but the, the, the the developers you know they they you're not typically working hand in hand with them it's fun to hang out and have a beer but when you're when you're sitting down or drinking beer or bowling or doing whatever you're doing with with people that are in kind of your your world it's it goes a long way that human interaction means it a lot. does go a long way you're right and you know something something that goes beyond just you know, Skyping or slacking someone all day or asking them, you know, questions. It's, it's important to have fun and right. some time together. So by, by the time this airs, hopefully we'll have started this, but I've been considering over here starting a local ping pong league, um, a, a company to come ping go. pong league. And I had <laughs> just thought, board. yeah, yeah, it, it's yeah. fun to do stuff with other companies. And I thought this is something where it's not going out to a softball field. It's within the company space itself that people have ping pong tables. Why not have them get together across companies? Um, and now from what you were mentioning there, Michael, I thought, oh, 
just telling people have three people or five people, or whatever it is on your team, and, and then they'll compete against each other. Um, requiring people from individual departments would be an interesting thing, both to get them working together within that company. I guess mostly that, yeah. Because <laughs> it, it helps. I mean, the whole thing is morale, it's fun, it's great for the office. But if it's all people from one department that already do stuff together anyway, it's not really doing as much as it could for that office. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. Find an excuse for your people to hang out together and do something together. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you have two teams that aren't getting along and you take one of them out for drinks, they're just going to most likely bash, continue to right. bash the other team and instead of work, work things out over a couple couple drinks. Find something they can mutually bash. Exactly. <laughs> I guess that that's the, uh, the Steve Jobs tactic. Uh, you got to create an enemy for everybody to focus on. Um, <laughs> like everybody needs problems or they're going to invent them. Same thing. <laughs> so I, I think we're, we're coming around to the end here. I need to wrap it up. I want to jump back to the very beginning of uh, measurable defined expectations. Uh, something that you've mentioned many times, keep looping back to the importance of that for having this alignment. Like I, I think, you know, you've said you, your sales and marketing departments will not function together well if you don't have those things. It may seem like they are for a while because things are going well, but as soon as there's a hiccup, you'll see the, you know, you'll see the teeth come out or the claws right. come out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a hundred percent right. That when, uh, when, when things are going good, nobody's too concerned and it's only when bad things happen that people want to get upset and start pointing fingers. But, you know, just like when you get together and look at what went bad, if the, if the statistical trends go down, you're trying to isolate what happened or what changed. If things are going up, you need to meet and find out exactly what it is so you can strengthen it. And I think that's a weak point when marketing and sales get together as well. There's investigations both ways. Oh, what's working? We've been focusing on what's not and how to avoid fights. A, that's yeah, a, That's a great point. I was going to say, we're, we're the pessimists over here and... AJ's bringing in some optimism. <laughs> well, I, I mean, think about it. I mean, it is a corollary. If things are going well, don't you want to find out exactly what it is so you can strengthen it? It just, instead of waiting for it, like, not that you're waiting, but instead of only at the times when it goes down, why don't you proactively, you know, inhibit that? Like, I'm thinking of ways that our marketing and sales departments can work together. You know, what is happening? How can we strengthen it? And if this is not as strong as this one over here, what can we do to mirror it and get it better in the different lead sources? I it guess seems when, like when things are going like a bad, no brainer after this. Yeah. <laughs> right. if, if the problem is when things are going bad, that's when people start fighting. Okay. What if you prevent things from going bad? <laughs> yeah. Keep the numbers up. And <laughs> what even a novel idea. Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> even if you're weak in your processes, as long as you have a uh, high sales, then you still won't have the fighting. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's one way to do things, I guess, KJ, to be successful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just win and nobody fights. That way. So maybe a yeah, combination right? of the two, uh, like define expectations. You know, let's make solve measurable. problems of more instead yeah. of fixing problems. Let's like, you know, focus anyway. on winning and you won't have all the fighting kind of. There you go. Fantastic. Uh, Michael, anything you want to throw out there before we, before we wrap things up there, any, any last words, uh, for everybody and then um, anywhere where people can go to find you, find Sandler. Last words. 
I, didn't sound good. Last word. That sounds so official, Michael. Yes, my uh, this will be my my obituary. I I really think that it, it it's really no matter what department we're in, just understanding what what the what the goal for the company is and how do we reach that goal together as a team rather than thinking about ourselves and our own egos because typically when everybody has the same goal in mind we figure we tend to figure out a way to make it work rather than just thinking about ourselves fantastic and then uh, i think uh we have gordon.sandler.com is that is that your website where people that can is. find that's, you that's where you can reach me Excellent. And then uh, you guys can look up uh, Michael Gordon on, um, on LinkedIn as well. You can find him there. Anywhere else for people to find you? The, those are my two, my two main, main go-tos. I have a question about Sandler. Is every Sandler across the nation the same? The same as in Tampa, the same as in where you are, the same as in Oregon. Is that how it's set up or is it different? Because I know each website has the same look and feel, but it's not always the same things that are highlighted on certain sites. I was just looking at yours in comparison of another, so I was curious. Oh, so are the are the our website set up the same as? It, it's up well, to. Well, I mean, are are your services set up the same? All the franchises the same? What you focus on is the same, or? Yeah, I mean, you're going to find some small differences, but generally, if if you came into to my training center you would be learning the very same content that you would in, in Tampa, that you would in the UK, that you would in, in New York and in Boston. So there's okay. different, I guess there's different flavors in different locations, but at the end of the day, it's, it, it's all the same content. We're the, 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 we call the network. Everybody's very aligned. We all meet up three times a year or so. And there, you know, there's examples of if you know, I may have a, a client that has, you know, a remote rep in another state, and I'll put, I'll put that rep in somebody else's training center, knowing that they're going to be learning the same stuff that their people in California, my training center, are learning. So that company's on the same page. So <laughs> variations, like anything, but uh, same, same content, same learning process, same methodologies. Gotcha. So I guess most of the people listening are, are marketers. If they're having difficulty with their sales team, if they're having fights because the numbers aren't being hit, maybe politely suggesting some local uh, Sandler training would uh, help them have that success that will lead to less fighting and more cooperation um, uh, all around as, a, as an extra plug for Sandler there. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I won't argue with that. <laughs> Couldn't hurt to help uh, do some training, get more successful, smooth over any, uh, any, any little issues. That never with, hurt. With sales, yeah. Sales solve everything. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, you can find uh, more information on uh, Michael Gordon on the uh, show notes for the show on ifumarket.com. And on behalf of Carla Jo Helms, the If You Market team, and Michael Gordon of Sandler Training, Thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it, they will come. <laughs> if you market the shit out of it with marketing and sales coordination. Yeah, it's will. just too much of a mouthful. I couldn't, I couldn't. <laughs> I, I'll do these from now on. We I'll got it after the fact, though. <laughs>
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.